0: This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, your podcast host, and this is episode 218. This week, drinks writer Hannah meets with cider expert Susanna Forbes to chat about the evolution of this fascinating traditional drink, and covers everything from matching cider with food to how different apple varieties affect the flavour of the finished drink.
1: This is Hannah Guinness, drinks writer at Olive, um, here with Susanna Forbes uh, to chat all things cider. Um, Susanna is a bit of uh, uh, a um, jack-of-all-trades when it comes to, comes to cider. Um, she owns her own cider brand, Little Pomona. Um, she's also the editor of Full Juice, which is, is a cider magazine. And she's also the author of The Cider Insider, which is where I believe you pick out a uh, hundred of your sort of favourite craft ciders right now. Um, but yeah, welcome. Um, thanks for coming along, Susanna.
2: Thanks very much, Hannah. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's always fun to chat cider, I have to say.
1: I agree, definitely. Um, so the reason why I, I kind of wanted to chat to you really is um, uh, I'm from the West Country, um, long-time drinker of cider, big fan of it. Um, but I've always found there's a bit of a uh, a gap in perception between how I think of cider, which is a very nuanced and sophisticated and interesting drink and how it's sometimes perceived um, generally. I think people have a lot of ideas of what cider is, that, you know, it's very, very sweet or it's a bit, you know, um, you know, you buy it in bulk really cheaply from the supermarket and it's not that good. So I don't really think cider matches up with that perception. Um, and I was really, I was struck by this when I was actually, uh, you sent me one of your ciders to try, which is the Egremont Russet. Am I pronouncing that properly?
2: Yes, absolutely, yeah.
1: So I was drinking that and um, and it was just, and it really struck me. I was like, this is, you know, I, I don't think it's dissimilar from a really lovely, like, natural wine that you might try at a trendy bar in London. It has the same kind of flavour profile and I've noticed in the last few months there's been, you know, some new initiatives which are kind of trying to position cider as something akin to... To wine is something something that people should take seriously so there's the um the cider is wine initiative which i think is um a mark of quality to attach to ciders that are produced with 100 apple juice which is kind of what defines like a a good cider i'd say um and then also i think you were involved with the um discover cider um campaign which which launched i think is earlier this month
2: yes that's right yeah yeah there are it's a really great time there's lots of different things happening and i think what it is is us cider makers have realised that if we team up together, then we have more chance of sharing a modern perception of cider. And and if you like, if you go back a couple of centuries, cider was the drink on the table of nobility and royalty. Uh, But if you like, that happened possibly when we were at war with the French, so wine wasn't coming over. And then when we stopped being at war with the French, wine... Came back. But what's always been here in the West Country, as you say, is the knowledge uh, and the craft of making beautiful ciders um, out of the amazing fruit that's here. So what happened, there was almost like a a, a countrywide split, if you like. Most of the fruit grown in the east was gobbled up by London, you know, as dessert fruit and for cooking fruit and everything like that. So that's how come there's a prevalence of dessert and cooking fruit over in Kent and Sussex. But over in the West Country, with all the Celtic connections, they've kept the tannic ciders. These are the ones that take a bit of time to come round to, but they have more complexity, just like a red wine. And anyway, actually cider is made like wine. You just press it. And that's it. You might use wild yeasts, as we do here, as a, a number of the new uh, wave cider producers do and the traditional ones. Um, but so where, where did it get lost? What happened was, unlike perhaps on the continent, where sharing bottles, 75CL bottles, are still the norm in Normandy, in Brittany, in the Basque region, in Asturias, in Germany, over here... Um, The success of the amazing Bulmer Brothers and then a raft of others, the success of those meant that the quaffable cider just took over. So if you like, that's what became the norm. And we all got used to fizzy, uh, perhaps slightly sweetened cider. And we began to think that that was the norm. And it's not until you go and have a chance to try all the other... Beautiful ciders that are out there that you realize, blimey, there's a there's a whole new landscape to explore. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, quaffable
1: cider has its place. Um, yes. I love having a big, I love having a pint at the pub, as yes. I'm sure many people do. Um, yeah. but you know, as you said, that's really only a very small part of, of what cider can be. Um, yes. so if you if you were a, a, a novice to cider, um, and, you know, you wanted to kind of explore a bit beyond the big brands that you might find at like your local boozer. Um, sort of, you know, wh- where would be the best place to start? Because I've often found, like, um, obviously, apple, you know, there are hundreds of apple varieties. And I've noticed that yeah. they can really affect how things
2: taste. So, yeah. you know. You're absolutely right. I think... Um, I was thinking about this. I think it's, it's a two-way thing. It's, it's absolutely, if you're in a bottle shop or in a supermarket, pick up the bottle and see if they name those apple varieties. And if they do, then you're already getting into less of a generic cider and someone where they've actually noted where it's come from. Um, but also, it's really good to find a guide. It's really good to ask someone. Ask, ask if it's a pub, ask in the pub. If it's a bottle shop or if it's a restaurant, where do they get their cider? What do they recommend? And it's good to look up a few things and then see if you can go visit. We're really lucky. It's a bit like in France where you've got all the vineyards you can go and see. Here, you can go visit cideries. So I think that's the thing. And see if you can go and actually taste the fruit maybe or taste the juice. But what should we look for? In a way, part of what this campaign Discover Cider is all about is is pinpointing the the real variety um, you you might want to look for why not look for something with uh Dabner in that's the one that has got lovely bittersweet notes it's there's sweetness but there's also tannins, and that's the one you'll find everywhere and it's a really lovely base for a cider or look for Kingston Black, which is like the king of cider apples, yeah, have you yeah well. Interestingly, you had the Egremont Russet, which was our first foray into dessert apples, which can make amazing ciders. The next one in that series is actually Kingston Black. So I I know I know our listeners can't see this, but this will sort of, you'll kind of recognise the label and the style. And so if you look for something like Kingston Black, you're going to find something quite rare, which is a apple which has... Within it, completely the balance that you want of um, sweetness, tannins um, and acidity, we call that the Holy Trinity and unlike grapes it's not common to find it all in one cider apple, so kinks and black is one of those again, you have to get ripe fruit and all of that so do look for what is the percentage juice or do ask and if If someone doesn't know, if they're interested, they'll find out for you. So I'll tell you a little statistic. Over here in the UK, the minimum juice content for cider is just 35%. So uh, in France, generally anyway, it's 50%. And I think that's the same in the USA. Um, And then in certain hotspots in France, in Brittany and probably Normandy too, it's 100%. So automatically, um, you're going to get the potential for more flavour. And that's when you get the opportunity uh, to get more complexity, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think there's a um yeah, I think there's a there's a great there's a great place to start, as you said, um the apple juice content. And you know, if then if they're name checking apple varieties, um, that's always a good sign. Um something and I'll admit, you know, when I'm looking at labels, I and mean, these maybe for the more traditional ciders, you see things like you know, medium, medium sweet, medium dry. Um, uh, And that can be a little bit confusing sometimes because you think medium, where does that position? So, you know, uh, a medium sweet cider, how would that differ to a medium dry? I mean, obviously, I know there is an obvious difference, but when we say medium, what do we mean by that?
2: You've actually hit on really one of the challenges. And unlike wine and beer, to a certain extent, this has yet to be... Really clarified. So the only way is to try them and to see. But the other point is that actually, a lot of people who say, Oh, I don't like dry cider, when they try a fruity cider, they like it. And I've got a direct experience since we've opened our tasting room just five or six weeks ago. I've had a number of people who say they don't like cider, Oh, but they'll try it. And then, Oh, yeah, I do. And so there's a perception thing as well. When you can balance the crispness of good acidity, which is just like wine. It's just like Riesling. That's the acidity there. When you balance that with fruitiness, it doesn't come over as dry. So also, it's a bit misleading. So if you can, have a little taste and then just see what, what it means to you. The other thing to look for, and again, you may not find it on all ciders, but I think you'll find it on a lot of the sharing bottles that are around now. Um, see if there's if it's had any time in an oak barrel, and if so, what oak barrel? Because that also gives a perception of sweetness because just like wine, if you've had time uh, in a barrel, then you get little notes of vanillin sort of coming in and that also broadens the perception of the texture. So it makes it, uh, makes it, 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 makes it a bit like an Alsatian wine, like a Pinot Gris, if you like.
1: And um something else I wondered is um you see the word vintage on some labels. Um is it yes. is that a similar a similar thing to say champagne in terms of it's it's made there's a, it's a particularly good year for making it or is it, it different?
2: It it can be different. We use it in the same way as um, as 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 wine, but actually for some cider makers, it for them it's the key apples if they've got the real quality apples so in the same way wine you might have noble grapes for them that perception is that it's it's it is going to be you know one of their best range if you like but it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing with everyone but I think a lot of the better cider producers will now be using either vintage in the context that we know it so from that harvest um Or there's another thing that people use is from, they just say, from the season. So season 2017 or something like that. It is quite interesting. Um, Blends are as common in cider as they are in wine, but sometimes for a different reason. So Foxwell, which is one of our favourite apples perhaps because it's one of the ones we have in our home orchard. But Ox- Foxwell has the acidity. Do you, you know the sort of feeling when you have uh, a bit of grapefruit juice first thing in the morning and you just really, it wakes you up just like that. So Foxwell has um, acidity like that. So Foxwell is one of my favourite cider apples, and perhaps it's because we've got some at home. Um, It's got the most electrifying acidity. It's just like having a little sip of grapefruit juice first thing in the morning. But the point is, because of that acidity, actually, it lasts, honestly, for years. So actually, you might well choose to blend in Foxwell from a previous year because the acidity will have dropped a little bit and you happen to have a barrel of it And you only use it like a condiment, because otherwise it's just too much. So you will blend in over different years. So whereas in wine, sometimes having a non-vintage blend, forget the champagne scenario, a non-vintage blend would be seen as, you know, not a mark of quality. It's not the same with cider. So there are different nuances, but there's a lot to be said for the art of the blender. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you've definitely got to. And also in Kent as well, there's Kentish Pip. You can go to their bar. Just a few weeks ago, they you can now camp in their orchards, which to me just sounds so cool. I absolutely love that. Um, you can look up Full Juice magazine. We we took it online because we had to do that. And the next one probably might not be. Uh, maybe till December, because harvest has arrived. So everything is, is dropping for that. Um, and then there's another really great website to look up, which is Manchester Cider Buzz, because he's got a great uh, sort of map of where you can go find good, good cider and, and also events. And then if I could mention one other, um, for those who are beginning the journey and want to find out a little bit more, Um, camera have invested some amazing resources into a learn and discover platform and so they've got three levels um where you can kind of find out more about cider so just later this week bill bradshaw the renowned uh photographer and filmmaker he's coming to chat to us about blending and maturation for a a camera video so this is the right time hannah it's a it's real, it's a it's, it's really great time to go and explore.
1: Yeah, know it's, it's definitely heartening to see, um, just to see it more in the news and, 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 and just to see people talking about it more.
0: Stick around for more chat on the wonderful world of cider.
1: So the, the other thing I wanted to talk about um, is how it can be matched with food. Um, obviously, the first thing, the most obvious things I think about are, you know, cider and cheeses, but, you know, I suppose depending on the side you can you could drink it with most things. I mean I'm thinking, you know, some of the um sides I've tried like um gospel green that, that are made almost yes. like champagne the <sighs> traditional method. Yes. Um you know they're they're toasty and bubbling and not, you know you could have them with seafood. Um what about um it, you know what how would you start kind of matching matching would... ma- matching what you eat?
2: I would apply exactly the same principles as we do with wine. So I like the three C's, that's the one I use, which is cut, contrast or complement. So just like you said with your gospel green, there's this wonderful green sort of nature, lovely sparkle and texture. Right, what should we have with that? I would go fish and chips. I think there's, there's really lovely ways of just, just going in there. Or I would go a young goat's cheese, by the sort of lemony notes. And as we're talking about things like goat's cheese, perfect with perrys. We haven't really mentioned perry. Oh my God. They are, it, it's so worth seeking out. And actually we got to save perry because there's not that many trees around. And if we don't start drinking it, ah, oh, it'd be dreadful if they all went. But you know, you know they, ah, oh, perry trees, they last for two to 300 years. Yeah, so the one that we make from, the orchard we make from, would you believe it was planted in the time of Mad King George? So we have a direct link all the way back then. And this is, you know, beautiful small little peri pears that we pick every year. And so you've got a link all the way back there. So anyway, peri. That oh my god, with fish. Imagine a, a fish. So peri can really range. Perry can range from a, a sort of light green textured and, and flavoured type uh, drink where you're kind of thinking lime or maybe zesty starfruit through to something from the blakeney red pear which is, if you like, warmer and we're in more apricot and peach territory. So you could either go something like lemon sole with a, a classic, uh, actually, lemon sauce because that would you know work cut through it particularly if there's a bit of a sparkle or, if you've got a Blakeney red, then let's think you do you, you could have it with something with a light spice actually, spice works so well when you've got a fruity cider it's that balance i, I absolutely works better than beer and i have I have matched beer in my time as well, so um definitely worth with that one um, yeah, oh yes, exactly um The fun bit, once uh, a few years ago, I did a really fun matching and it was kind of matching pub food with with beer and cider and wine. That was very fun. So I really encourage everyone to go and do that as well. But we'll be heading towards the festive season, won't we? So I wonder what we should have with things like roast turkey. Now, I don't know what you would have, but I think I I would go for the compliment here. I would go for something of equal intensity, and I probably would go for a uh, a cider blend with some uh, bittersweet fruit in, so that you are going to balance the tannins with all the different flavours you are going to get alongside your roast turkey. Because, as we all know, it's all about the sauces as well. So, um, we had a banquet last year during Ciderlands, and. This is even probably even gutsier. This is where you might have gone for a red wine, um, the, 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 the feather blade of beef. But what did we partner it with? We partnered it with Tom Oliver's Yarlington Mill, but it had time, had, had time in uh, a whiskey cask. So that gives you some phenolic notes. So that gives you some balance in terms of the flavors um, and the intensity. So it's a it's it's a really really fun time.
1: Um, so it's, this is so interesting. Like you said, it's it's just as if you would you would match you know wine or beer. Um, what about mm. for desserts? So obviously Christmas is for me. Christmas more than anything is kind of dessert oh.
2: time, which I imagine for cider is there's a lot of there's a lot of potential. There is it's very, very, very exciting. so um, I would start, if you can, find an ice cider. so uh, the first one in the u k was from once upon a tree, so they're a fellow Herefordian uh, producer, and ice cider is made pretty much like um, ice wine in that uh, you you concentrate the flavors, and it, you basically you freeze the juice. And then when you uh, rapid thaw and then the water comes away, and so you've got an amazing um, intensity. It's like a little elixir, the, the acids and the sugars. And so it makes just such an amazing little drink. So either ice cider or ice peri is a complete dream. But the other way to do it is to find a sweet cider. Uh, and this could be a keeved cider, so that's a naturally sweet cider. That's a very important thing with cider, actually, So unlike grapes, apples ferment all the way through to dryness. So any sweetness is either, as we've said, from time in barrel, or it's from back sweetening. And that could be with adding apple juice back in, or it could be with adding sugar. Um, But what you always want is you always want it to taste natural. So let's imagine we've got actually a sweet cider, which is a, a sort of, normal, so it's not an ice cider. That's amazing with things like fruit salads. That's where you really are complimenting. Or if you had like a, if you were having a tea in a, in a patisserie or something like that, and you had, I don't know, like an apricot um, pastry or something like that, the sparkle is just the lovely little contrast. Um, one little story was our cider, um, our root and branch cider, which is a kegged cider, but is naturally carbonated. Uh, that was used to make the Hereford bun, which is where David Neetze, he's a baker in Hereford, he recreated the Chelsea bun. He soaked the fruit for two days in our cider. And then, yeah, and then he glazed it um, with, you know, with with, with, with cider. So, that was that was particularly fun, and trying that along with root and branch, which has got this lovely natural sparkle, had a component that spent time in a space-aged barrel, so had a little bit of texture. That was really fun. Would
1: um a would feeding a Christmas pudding or a Christmas cake beside work at all?
2: God, that's a great idea. That's a brilliant idea. Yes, that would be really really good. I think I would go for a. I wouldn't necessarily go for a cider which has had sort of whiskey barrel influence, but maybe one we've, uh, I think the Egremont Russet you had, had had time in a rum barrel. So that, again, added to the perception of sweetness and was just one other little element. So, but actually, a fruity cider uh, from very ripe apples with a lovely sparkle. Yeah, I think we have to do that.
1: Yeah, I know. i just as I said it, I was like, "Oh, I think I might have to try that." Yes, I'm about, I know. I've never made a um, never made a Christmas cake. Maybe this is the time for me to do it. Um, yes. I was just uh, just before we sort of recording this, I was just trying on table cider, um, oh, which is very yes. uh, in, And I mean this in a good in a good way, very gluggable. Um, so what was the what was the idea? Is it is it the idea of uh, you know table wine or um,
2: just something yes. that you'd
1: have as a staple on? on
2: you know that's food absolutely it it's it's not like the concept of table beer which is different um and that's a table beer is like a lower abv version of beer table cider is just like table table wine it's what you might pop on the table you might have with any meal you can have it on its own you can just go out into the garden so but the fun bit is that james uh, my husband who makes the ciders here um he decided not just to Blend what he wanted from last year's harvest, but to put the blend together to match the season of release. So you've got the summer one, so that's going to have a slightly zestier uh, profile to the one that we will release in the autumn. The one in the autumn will have more tannins in there, so it will be better for dishes in the autumn. So I think what we're trying to do is just, you know, make a cider that everyone will enjoy with food, or with friends.
1: I'm, yeah, I've noticed that, um, I've noticed a few brands, not just cider, kind of releasing, kind of, you know, particularly beers, beers in particular, you know, releasing a sort of, you know, an IPA or, or an ale that matches with everything. Um, mm. I think they're, yeah, so that's that's quite an interesting part um, that people do. It are is, about. isn't
2: it? I think it's kind of trying to move on the perception, so that it's it's really, it's such fun food matching isn't it
1: (laughs) what cider makers um are you really liking
2: right now and that you think people would like to try should try it's so exciting now so there's there is so many i would um i'd head to discover cider and just take a wee look at that um and if you can enter the competitions you might get a chance to win not necessarily our cider but a case of cider from around the country but who am i liking well ross and wise cider are always great and they were part of part of our inspiration to up sticks and move here from london they've got such an array again you really have to go visit they've got a lovely pub called the yew tree in st peterstow just outside ross but if i tell you that they've got over a hundred different apple varieties in their orchard and you can go wander around the orchard and they have over 30 different peri pear trees. And their shop, as well as doing lovely blends and sell- selling them, they have a lot of single varietals. So it's an amazing place to visit. So Ross is always brilliant. They won BBC um, Food and Farming Drinks Producer of the Year last year. Uh, Oliver's Cider, we're so lucky, we're very near him. He's about 10 miles. It's always, always working. Yeah. Yes, they're great. And you, you'll find him, as with ours, on the Fine Cider Co. site. Uh, down in Somerset, Pilton Cider. He's great. And I was thinking, when I was thinking of food matches, I was thinking, if we were talking a lightly spiced curry, I would say Pilton Original. That's, he's very, very good at keeving, so that's where you retain the natural sweetness. And then you've got the breadth of, of flavours. Sorry? I think I tried a new cider from them in touch
1: where they added oh. um, Pinot Noir grape skins, I
2: think. Yes. So it was, Wasn't that fun? It was,
1: yeah, it was really, really nice and a really beautiful, beautiful label art on the bottle, I thought, as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. So um, I think he did that one with Martin Sharman. And uh, it... Absolutely. Martin is very, very innovative and is a wonderful collaborator. So we're very lucky. Um, and then if you went further south, uh, Polly and Matt Hilton at... Find and Foster. You really, if you ever get a chance to try those, they're absolutely beautiful. One of my favourites from there is their Huxham blend, but that could be because I've visited the orchard and I've seen Polly just snapping the apples off the branch and just tasting them and telling me when they were going to be ready and everything like that. But over on the East, I'm always always loving Nightingale Cider, um, particularly his... Songbird's one of my favourite and actually that was partly the um, inspiration for us to do that Egremont Russet that you had. Um, so Sam's an invasive... And another Sam is Sam Mount at Kentish Pip. And now his ciders were in cans in m and I'm not sure if they still are, but definitely worth looking at. Oh, and he's the one with the... Uh, where you can go and camp in the orchard.
1: Um, well, I mean... Given me, you've given me certainly lots of inspiration and possibly needs need to plan another cider holiday. Um and i'm yeah, hopefully uh everyone listening um will have a great foundation which to start exploring cider. Um so yeah, thanks very much, Susanna.
2: That's a pleasure, Hannah. Thank you very much for time. If anyone can come and see us in our tasting room and we'd love to share it with you. But for now, we have to do the uh the traditional
0: cider toast and say we're sale. What's So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you want to explore more of our back catalogue of over 200 episodes, you'll find us on all the main platforms and on our website, olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find tons of useful recipes and great cooking advice. Why not try a subscription to Olive Magazine this summer and get the very best recipes delivered to help inspire your cooking? To take advantage of our current offer of three issues for only £5, go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash OLPOD 720. That's O-L-P-O-D 720. Terms and conditions apply. Stay safe and we'll see you next week when we'll have a brand new episode to listen to.